The first reading is from Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how, from childhood, you have been acquainted with these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise out of respect for our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our head for a word of prayer. O Lord Jesus Christ, on this day as we celebrate the confirmation of these three young people, we're mindful of our own confirmation. We're mindful of the fact that you called us in the waters of holy baptism. And you washed away our sins. You adopted us into your family. You made us sons and daughters in that family. And you promised to abide with us every day of our lives. You even promised that we would have everlasting life. And so, Lord, even as we celebrate the fact that you have been faithful in the lives of these three young people, we also celebrate your, your faithfulness to us. It's in your name, O Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, dear Laura, and Sophia, and Eli, and all the rest of you, there are powerful forces of nature at work in this world. Take tornadoes as an example. They've been in the news a lot lately, haven't they? Because of their extreme, unrivaled energy density, tornadoes are the most powerful force in nature for their size. The energy density of a tornado is six times that of a hurricane. Typically, the wind speeds in a tornado can reach more than 100 miles per hour, and in some of the worst tornadoes of all, they can reach as high as 300 miles per hour. That's powerful. Another powerful force of nature is hurricanes. NASA says that during its life cycle, a hurricane can expend as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs. And we're just talking about the average hurricane. We're not even talking about something as massive as Katrina. And volcanoes. Volcanoes also release mind-boggling quantities of energy, though not usually quite on the scale of hurricanes. And if we look at a well-known major volcanic eruption, the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980, we find that in all, Mount St. Helens released 24 megatons of thermal energy. That's equivalent to 1,600 times the size of an atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Yes, these are powerful forces of nature. And most times, tornadoes and hurricanes and volcanoes leave a path of destruction and death in their wake. But let me tell you of an even more creative and powerful or supernatural power that is at work in this world, and it far exceeds the energy and the power of tornadoes and hurricanes and volcanoes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, writes St. Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, you see, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by their faith. It was a chilly day on February 27th 
2005, when the power of God descended upon the city of Grand Rapids. And a similar thing happened on this cool spring morning of April 10th and May 15th. Oh, there was no shrieking, rumbling sounds of a freight train like that which often accompanies a tornado. There was no howling winds or trees snapping like toothpicks under the gale forces of a hurricane. There were no violent booms or cracks or hissing sounds of steam that comes from a volcanic eruption. No, on all three of those occasions, the scene was quite serene. As a few people huddled around a baptismal font. And if you strained your ears, you could hear the trickle of the water and the, maybe the wail of a baby and a man's voice say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you the new birth of water and the Spirit has, given you, has forgiven you of all your sins, strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. Peace be with you. Amen. And at that moment, in all three cases, God's creative, life-giving word ignited faith in the hearts of those babies. God's power energized those tiny tots with spiritual life. The Lord rescued them from the grip of Satan. God clothed them with a robe of righteousness that was not their own, but provided by Christ, who died for them. And despite being quite an unimpressive rite, the power of God was unleashed on them, and it worked in spectacular, creative fashion. Now, as you may have guessed, the baptized infants I speak of sit here in the front row. They're now young adults. And here they're today confirming their faith, their Christian faith. Eli was on February 27, 2005, that the power of God descended upon you in the sacrament of holy baptism. And there the Holy Spirit created faith in your heart where there was none before. And you became a forgiven child of God. And Lara was on April 10th, and Sophia was on May the 15th of that same year that our Heavenly Father placed his seal upon you and claimed you as his very own as he adopted you as daughters into his family. Well, before the three of you encountered the power of God and the rite of holy baptism, the sacrament of holy baptism, you were, as the baptismal service states, conceived and born sinful and under the power of the devil. You see, prior to your baptism, you were alive physically, but you were dead spiritually. And this is the nature and condition of every person who has not experienced the power, the creative power of God through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism. Thankfully, your parents recognized your inherent sinful condition. And they wanted to give you the most important gift that a parent can ever give their child. And that's a personal relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They wanted you to have the certainty that your sins are forgiven. They wanted you to live each day knowing that you are in the protective, 
care of the, father, of the God who created you and that you're in the loving arms of the Savior who died for you. They wanted you to be able to face life and death with the hope of everlasting life in heaven. And it's for these reasons and many others that they brought you to the waters of holy baptism, to those regenerating waters of baptism, so that God could unleash his creative power, his life-creating power, and his forgiving power in your lives. Now, your parents also knew that you need God's ongoing power of love and forgiveness in your life. And hence, they've continued to instruct you in God's gospel. They've made sure that you have continued to learn about God in Sunday school or at ISJ or through home devotions. They've continued to bring you to worship so that you might grow in your faith and life here. They have taught you to pray for your continued safety and salvation. They've even mentored you in the Christian faith by their own example. And today, your parents and your family, your friends and your church family are here to rejoice. Here to rejoice in that powerful event that occurred in your lives so many years ago when you were baptized in the name and the power of God Almighty. And now we are privileged to witness your public affirmation that you believe in the one true God, that you believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior from sin, death, and the power of the devil, and that you promise to continue steadfast in this confession and in this church and to suffer even all, even death itself, rather than fall away from Christ. Now, having said all of that, this morning I issue the three of you a challenge. Be not ashamed of the gospel. I issue this challenge because, you see, for many people, Confirmation Day is the height of their spiritual maturity. Several years ago, the newspaper reported a story of a merchant in Paris who was suing a Greek ship owner over a broken contract. The ship owner had signed a contract in disappearing ink. And when the ink faded out, he no longer felt that he needed to keep or honor the contract that he had made. Well, sometimes the confessions of faith that people make to God are kind of like that contract signed in disappearing ink. With all sincerity, confirmants, promise lifelong loyalty to their Lord on Confirmation Day. A a confirmant's commitment to God, though, often diminishes with the passing of time because they disconnect themselves from the gospel, which is the power of God under the salvation of all those who believe. Maybe their weekend job has them work on Sundays, and so they find that they can't get to church on Sunday mornings. Or maybe they go to a late-night Saturday party and creep into home, you know, 2 a.m. in the morning, and then a little sluggish to get up out of bed to go to church in the morning. Or maybe they're not in the habit of reading the Bible on a regular basis, and so they're not being nourished in that way either. Or maybe they head off to university and college, and there they, or even to high school, and they begin to be confronted with issues and theories and philosophies and lifestyles and worldviews that they find hard to reconcile with the Bible. And so they find themselves questioning what they were taught 
as they were growing up in the Christian faith. And maybe even they find themselves rejecting the very thing that they were taught as they were growing up in the Christian faith. And then there's friends, often boyfriends, girlfriends, future spouses or whatever, and they may not share your love for Christ. And so you're torn. You're torn. You're torn by your loyalties to your friends, to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, who don't share your faith in Christ. And unfortunately, all too often, the confirmant's faith becomes the casualty. Their faith in Jesus Christ is no more. In his book, Actions Speak Louder Than Verbs, Herb Miller writes, Two Kentucky farmers who owned racing stables had developed a keen rivalry. One spring, each of them entered a horse in the local steeplechase. And thinking that a professional rider might help the one owner outdo the other, one of the farmers engaged a professional jockey. And the two horses were neck and neck with a large lead over the rest of the field. And they were just coming to the last fence. And they were th- these jockeys were thrown off their horse. The professional rider quickly remounted one of the horses and he, he rode it on to win. And returning to the paddock, the jockey found that the farmer who had hired him was fuming with rage. What's the matter, the jockey asked. I won, didn't I? Oh, yeah, roared the farmer. You won all right, but you crossed the finish line on the wrong horse. You see, in his hurry to remount after the fall, the jockey had jumped on his competitor's horse. The point of the story is this. Success is meaningless unless you're riding the right horse at the end of the finish line. Jesus, God's Son, expressed the truth in this way. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You see, you can get all the degrees after your name you want, You can get all kinds of promotions and have all kinds of people serving under you. You can become that professional, successful business person. You can have the BMWs and your 3,500-square-foot home and your cottage by the lake with all the, the boats and everything else. You can have the ideal family. You can have everything that your little heart desires. But if at the end of the life, at the end of your life, you're riding the wrong horse, if at the end of the life you have abandoned your Lord Jesus Christ, for these earthly treasures, then you will have actually failed miserably in your life. Laura and Sophia and Eli, be not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
As you fix your eyes on Jesus, what do you see? Well, you see Jesus, who loves you more than even you lo- than you love yourself. You see Jesus, your Savior, who loves you even more than your parents love you. You see a Jesus who loves you more than even your future spouse will love you. You know, God's love is so wide and long and high and deep that we can't even really begin to comprehend it. We may not be able to fully appreciate the love that God has for us, but we can see the extent of the love that He has for us when we look to the cross. For there we see a Savior, God's own Son, who willingly died on the cross for your sins and for mine and for the sins of all the people of this world. And because of his death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. And then look at the empty tomb of the Son of God, who's been raised from the dead. He's been raised from the dead so that he might promise to you and to me and all who trust in him that we too will rise from the dead. And so you can go through life, every day of your life, with that certain hope that is expressed by Job when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God, I and not another. When we focus our heart and mind on Jesus and on his love for us, the good news has the power to give us something that can only be received through a relationship with Jesus. And what is it that we can only receive from Jesus? Our text says, for in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Nowhere else and in no one else can we receive God's righteousness only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. We may not always feel holy. We may not always act like a righteous person. But in God's eyes, Because of what Christ has done, we are holy and we are without sin. At 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968, long before the three of you were born, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. It was getting cool. It was starting to get dark. And the last of the marathon runners, each exhausted, were being carried off to the first aid clinics. And then more than an hour earlier, Mamo Waldi of Ethiopia, looking as fresh as he had begun the race, crossed the finish line, the winner of the 26-mile, 380-yard event. And as the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting near the marathon gate suddenly heard sirens. And they heard police whistles, and all eyes turned towards the gate. And a lone runner, wearing the colors of Tanzania, entered into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Akwari. He was the last man to finish the marathon. His leg was bandaged and bloodied. It had been injured in a fall during the race. And he grimaced with each step that he took. He hobbled around that 400-meter track And as he did so, the spectators rose and they began to applaud him as if he was the winner. And after crossing the finish line, Akwari slowly walked off the field, limping all the way. And in view of his injury, and with no chance of winning a medal, someone asked him, why in the world didn't you quit? 
And Akwari replied, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Confirmants, brothers and sisters in Christ, you can choose to quit the race that was started when you were baptized in Christ or came to faith in Christ. Yes, you can choose to quit the race. You can decide to disconnect from the power source of the salvation that God provides for you, but that's not God's desire for you. That may be your desire, but that's not His. You see, God did not send His Son from heaven to become a human being, to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary for your sins so that you and I might drop out of the race. But to finish it, He wants us to finish it. God did not descend upon us with the power of the gospel on our baptismal days so that we could drop out of the race at some point in our life, but He did so so that we might finish it. God does not visit us again and again through His Word so that we might drop out of the race. But no, He comes to us in His Word again and again so that we might have that power that enables us to finish the race. God did not give us God-fearing parents and pastors and supportive local loving congregations so that we might drop out of the race. But so that we might be encouraged in the race. God has given us all these gifts so that we might experience the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And he continues to make his word available to us so that the gospel can energize us, renew us, and refresh us when we're tempted to drop out of the grueling marathon that we find ourselves in. And he will continue to give us these gifts so that we can stay focused on the prize, so we can fi- focus on the finish line and receive the crown of everlasting life in heaven. Confirmants be not ashamed of the gospel. Be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed and given to you. I look forward to seeing what God will continue to do in your life in the years that lie ahead as His powerful word works, faith, and love and hope in your lives. And when your race is complete, when at the end of your life you cross that finish line, I pray you won't find yourself on the wrong horse. I pray instead that I will find you standing or we will see you standing on the victor's podium as Jesus places upon your head the crown of everlasting life. That's my prayer for you now and always. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.